0: and welcome back to the Capella podcast Um, this week we have Heather McGill on Um, she's a postpartum doula based in Beverly in Massachusetts and after experiencing firsthand the difference that having support can make to for a new mom she learned that she could make a career of offering that support to other families and eventually establish her own business called Infant Concierge. She offers both daytime and overnight care for families living in the North Shore and Boston area, as well as virtual support and free monthly Zoom meetups. She seeks to use her knowledge and experience to follow the family's leads, build confidence, and alleviate feelings of failure and overwhelm. As usual, you can watch the recording of the interview on our YouTube channel and the link of that interview is in the description, but you can also just listen right here. Hi everyone, welcome back to the Capella podcast. Today we have Heather McGill on. Um, Hi Heather, how are you doing today? Hi, great, thank you. I'm doing wonderful. Thank you so much for being on. I'm super excited about our conversation. Um, and I'd love to ask you to introduce yourself first. Tell us, you know, a bit about your background and what you're doing today, because I think it's super important and super. I'm super excited to learn more. Um, so yeah, I would love to hear a little bit about your background first.
1: Thank you. Um, so I am a postpartum doula I have been um, working as a postpartum doula for about four years now um, as my main career, but I started my journey with training about 12 years ago. So um, yeah, I'm also a mom of three age kids, and I live um, in Massachusetts
0: wow um so can you tell us a little bit more about let's say like your typical day as a postpartum doula what are the most common things you will help new parents with
1: yeah one of the things i love about my job is that there is so much variety um, from day to day Uh, every family's needs are different every time um, you know every day the needs might change from day to day. So there is a lot of um, variety in what I do, but typically I'm there to support parents uh, with whatever they feel are the biggest needs or stressors that they're dealing with at the moment. So some of the most common ones would be sleep. Um, When I am doing an overnight visit, the main focus is typically sleep. So I'm there to care for the baby, to help the parents get some longer chunks of uninterrupted sleep during the night. Uh, And during daytime visits, sometimes parents also will uh, go to have a nap um, or a shower or some kind of other uh, time to themselves while Mm -hmm. I'm there. So. Um, I also help families with baby care and learning how to um, care for their babies, learning the baby's cues. I have training as a breastfeeding educator. I've done trainings about different types of baby wearing, uh, safe sleep. I know some things about car seat safety. So all of those types of questions and education. A lot of first-time parents will wait and do their baby's first bath while I'm there to help and guide them or demonstrate, uh, help them get a little more confident with baths and diaper changing and that type of thing. Uh, And then I also help parents with things that tend to build up around the house and the daily tasks that still need to be taken care of. Uh, Things like laundry, um, meal prep, reminding parents to eat. Sometimes if I'm there in the morning, the first thing I'll ask like, have you had breakfast yet? Okay, so before we do anything else, like let me hold the baby for a few minutes or make you some food, just make sure you have something to eat in the morning. Make sure you have a chance Mm -hmm. to take a shower um, or those types of things as well. So it's usually a little bit of everything uh, and just all those needs that we tend to have when the new baby is really taking up so much of our time and attention.
0: I love that and I've never had a postpartum doula on the show and that's why I have a ton of questions. Um, What are the parents biggest kind of fears or the things that they you know need help with the most do you think? Is it just the sleep part and I want someone to help me sleep train the baby or are there any big you know things fears that people have on like regular basis for you and your job questions that you have to answer all the time um are there any things that any is there anything that just comes up over and over and over again that we could answer here kind of once and for all um yeah I think
1: probably the biggest question that I get asked most often is just is this normal um, and it's not necessarily, obviously the, the answer is not always the same, depending on what people are asking about. But just in general, a lot of people don't have much experience with newborns before they have their own baby. And they they just are feel very unprepared whether it comes to their, their baby's uh, behavior and what their baby is doing, if that's normal, but also their own. Uh, just their own adjustments and Mm -hmm. whether that's physical recovery from childbirth and just the the emotional, a lot of those things kind of hit people out of the blue and they don't Mm -hmm. necessarily realize that they're going to be going through all of these um, emotions and struggles over and above just taking care of a baby. So, Mm -hmm. um, One of my roles is to kind of do a little bit of screening and there are things, if I have any kind of concern about anything, I don't have medical training um, or any higher trainings like that. So if I notice anything that does seem like it might possibly be a concern, then I will tell parents like, yes, you should talk to your pediatrician about this or uh, talk to an IBCLC or a therapist or whatever resource Mm -hmm. might be helpful for that situation. But then many of the other times, uh, it's not really something that is necessarily a potential problem. And so in those cases, I'm just there as a reassurance that like, yes, all parents, you know, tend to feel these different feelings, or, Mm -hmm. you know, sometimes babies cry, and we have to find out ways to soothe them, or, all of these different things so I can draw on my own experience and then I also do a lot of listening um, because sometimes it's there's an information overload where parents have tons of resources and people telling them what they should do um, but nobody's really listening to what's working for them or what they want to do Mm -hmm. so um, I spend a lot of time besides helping and giving advice kind of foundationally is listening to parents and to their needs and mm-hmm. their situation, and helping them to kind of integrate the advice with their own, what with what's, what's going to work for them.
0: I love how you mentioned that the biggest question people ask is, "Is this normal?" Because I've heard that so many times, uh, and it seems to be kind of across the board that the "Is this normal?" question is the biggest kind of worry. How do you answer that question? So obviously, you said you're not a doctor, so you will refer them to someone that's um, trained in that specific field if you have any doubts. Um, But most of the time you you said it's not, you know, it is normal and it's not necessary to get a doctor. So how do you basically assess what's, you know, very critical versus what's kind of just normal and they need to get used to it? Um, Yeah. Do you have any method of differentiating the different, you know, scenarios and seeing what's actually going on
1: um like i said i think a lot of it is just asking questions and listening and i do encourage parents uh sometimes parents feel hesitant to call the pediatrician because they don't want to like bother them with silly questions or whatever so um sometimes it's a matter of just like it's okay like even if it turns out to be nothing like your doctor is there to help you and they want you to call them and you know that's that's okay to do that um but it really depends on the situation and listening to the feelings and not necessarily the words of what the parents are saying but like trying to really get beyond that to Mm -hmm. you know what's actually going on so like Mm -hmm. i said i don't do anything like as far as a medical assessment but i do have that experience now working with um oh probably over a hundred families and just seeing a wide range of what is Mm -hmm. and is it normal that i have that experience that most new Mm -hmm. parents um don't have and just a little bit more of an outside perspective because even when i had my own babies i found myself wondering the same things even with my own training and my Mm -hmm. experience um and when i had my third baby i would still like notice things and be like is that okay are they okay because we do have this heightened level of anxiety and kind of tuning in biologically that is there to help us you know protect Our babies, Mm -hmm. but it can still kind of go haywire sometimes. So just having a little bit of an outside perspective um, can be really helpful.
0: Definitely helps for sure. Um, When do people usually reach out to you? Like at what stage? Is it more people who know that it might be super beneficial to have a postpartum doula and they have therefore they prepare and basically try to get in touch with you even before the baby's born? Or is it more um, kind of people in distress? Like, I don't know what to do. I need someone to help me. And I read somewhere on the internet that I could hire someone to help me. And, you know, are you free tonight, basically? Um, So is it more of a plan thing or um, is it more of a stress, you know, induced call that you get?
1: I definitely get both. Mm -hmm. And I I have noticed probably over the past few years, the proportion of people looking into this during pregnancy and Mm -hmm. doing their research and calling and interviewing multiple doulas and really looking into it, I think more and more people are starting Mm -hmm. to do that, Mm -hmm. Um, which is wonderful. Like when I had my first baby there, I, I had never even heard of a postpartum doula. And I do think that awareness is growing uh, in our culture. And I think that's great. And I love talking to those families um, often when they're really prepared like that, they will be looking into a variety of doulas and talking to them and finding the best fit for their situation and their personality um, and we can really kind of get to know each other. Usually if it's a few months before the birth, we'll, we'll check in via email a few times. And I have resources to help parents prepare ahead of time mm-hmm. um, as well. So that's wonderful. I love doing that. I do also get those calls. My baby's two weeks old. I haven't slept in two weeks. I we really need some help. Uh, and that's great too. I think my schedule is very flexible because Mm -hmm. things always change with, um, you know, with due dates, obviously, most people don't know exactly what date their baby is going to be born. So sometimes I may end up with a little extra space in my schedule or a family is sick or something like that. So I do accommodate last minute requests as much as possible. And sometimes it's possible. And sometimes it's not depending on my commitments but i definitely get those calls and those are some of the parents who tend to be the most grateful like we really needed this and it's really yeah. good to be able to step in and and fill in for those situations
0: too for sure for sure um you mentioned sometimes helping out people at night time so how does that happen do you spend the entire night at people's houses or part of the night or do you train them to sleep train their babies themselves, or do you do some part of the sleep training yourself? Uh, tell me a little bit more about nighttime. Um, what you do during the night? Yeah,
1: I don't typically do sleep training because usually when I work with families, it's in the very early mm-hmm. days and weeks, um, maybe up to two or three months from uh, yeah of the baby's life. So that's a little bit young to start sleep training and not every family even wants to sleep train um so i work with all types of families with all types of parenting styles but usually the babies that i work with aren't old enough for sleep training even if that is something that the parents are choosing to do so Mm. i usually do um an eight hour night overnight at the family's home um sometimes a little more depending on the situation and, yeah, I'm there for a family that's bottle feeding. I will just take over the baby care all night. Parents can go have a good night's sleep. See you at 6 o'clock. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I, I do keep track of how things go during the night so they'll know when all the feedings and diaper changing and everything happened. Uh, for a breastfeeding family, sometimes I'll bring the baby to mom to breastfeed, uh, without even having to get out of bed, and then I can come and collect the baby and and do all the rest of the soothing. So mm-hmm. I'm there, you know, with the responsibility for the baby, so that you can kind of switch off and and have those eight hours mm-hmm. of sleep or uh, downtime
0: mm-hmm. for
1: yourself. And do people so that's do one that- of the services. Yeah.
0: I <laughs> so, sorry sorry to interrupt you do people um have this kind of service like is it like a one-off thing or do you have some clients that will have you sleep over like two three times a week uh, like how how does that work
1: I do both I, I
0: mm-hmm. don't have
1: a minimum number of nights that I do so some families it is just once in a while um or just once to get that that one good night's sleep or occasionally I'll work with families where maybe one of the partners is traveling for work and the other partner would just feel more comfortable having a second set of hands at there during the night. Um, And then other families, yeah, I'll do two or three nights a week for two or three months and it's more of a long term regular Mm -hmm. thing. So it all depends on the needs of the family and um, their budget and it's very customized obviously. Um,
0: Do you think that everyone should hire a postpartum doula, or do you think that some people really might not need it, or is it really something that, like, everyone needs and everyone should do if, obviously, they can, if they have the financial um, possibility to do it?
1: I believe that everyone needs postpartum support, for sure. Um, I think that, It's very unrealistic, the image that we have in our culture, like parents coming home to an empty house with a newborn, you know, good luck, see you in six weeks, Um, trying to figure it all out on their own with no support. It's not really how, you know, over time and throughout history, people have babies in a village, in a community, extended family nearby. They help other people when they have their babies. So they have some experience with what's normal and what's not normal. Then they have people coming to help them. Um, so I definitely think that everyone needs postpartum support, for sure. Mm-hmm. For sure. As a postpartum doula, I see my role is filling in those gaps. Mm-hmm. So if you're someone who is lucky in our culture to have extended family nearby that you have a good relationship with, mm-hmm. that don't have commitments that prevent them from yeah. being supported, supportive to you. Um, you can definitely create a village or have a support system that doesn't include a postpartum doula. And if that's the case for you, like that's wonderful, that's amazing, but mm-hmm. I think it's also pretty rare in Mm -hmm. our culture so if you do have any of those gaps and sometimes it's from living far away from extended family sometimes extended family has work commitments or medical issues where they can't help as much as they would like to Uh, sometimes the relationships are are strained and they're around but they're maybe not very helpful Mm -hmm. Um, so if you have gaps like that that's where the role of a postpartum doula comes in Um, Mm -hmm. as as a profession. I think people have kind of been informally doing this work for a very long time, but now that it's more widespread that people don't have other forms of support, then I think um, it's a really great option. Uh, Like you said, if you can afford it, if you have that um, availability. I've worked with some families where for maybe the parents, for some reason, the baby's grandparents, can't help out as much as they would like. And so Mm -hmm. they have actually hired me to be there and support their children as they become parents. Mm -hmm. Um, So there's all different situations with that. And uh, then there's also um, things like virtual support. So one thing that that Mm -hmm. I offer is a virtual support service Um, Through messaging through zoom drop in groups through providing uh, resource articles that I have you know vetted and curated personally for each person, so if you're in a situation where you either don't need. The practical hands on help, maybe you do have other people to support you with that, Um, maybe you live in an area where there's not a lot of postpartum doulas or you can't necessarily afford to have someone come for many many hours to offer one-on-one services. Um, I do also offer uh, virtual support so there's lots of creative ways that you can get that support that you need.
0: Yeah that's super interesting and talking about virtual support have you seen maybe in the couple of you know years you've been doing this and maybe you know the shift has been bigger and has taken a longer time but have you seen people use more and more technology apps um, connected cribs connected baby monitors or anything of that sort over time and do you feel like there's a shift and people are more kind of at ease with having you know these tech driven tools around their houses um, and that they trust them more and more and therefore um they have the support by you know technology um, and need less human support, or obviously people are always going to need human support. But what are your views on how people interact with tech or technology that is made to support parenting?
1: I think technology can be a great tool. Uh, one of the things that I like to you know tell parents like it's only helpful if it helps so different tools are helpful for different people in different ways and something that might be helpful for one person isn't necessarily helpful for someone else Uh, but i think that if you have this tool and it's working for you and it's helping you that's great and i love that parents have the opportunity to explore so many new um technologies or tools that they can use not everything is going to be helpful for everybody and i think if it's something that's making you maybe more anxious um or you know more isolated then no that's probably not the best thing Mm -hmm. for you to be using but the same exact tool could make someone else feel a lot more calm and peaceful in their experience um, mm-hmm. so that's one thing that I do is I don't tell people like, oh, you need to do things this way or you need to do this one thing. But I do say, here's a variety of things that other people have found helpful. Let's see which one of these things, you know, might be helpful for you. Mm-hmm. So I think the more options, the more tools, the more creative ways that people are finding to use technology to support parents. Um, that's wonderful. Like there's you can never have too many types of support available. Mm-hmm. So I, I have seen lots of parents using the, you know, the, the connected cribs, the apps, um, and telling me that that's really helpful for them. So if that's their experience, then I totally support them in that. And I think that's wonderful.
0: Yeah. And so do you have a couple of examples of, of tools that parents have found useful and have told you that they find it useful because anyone listening could be like, you know, I don't know if that could help me, if that could help me, but I don't know if they hear the name of a thing they've considered buying or that they've considered using, it might, you know, be vetted by another parent. So do you have like, I don't know, two, three examples of things um, that people use that is helpful to them?
1: Sometimes is like the baby tracking So I -hmm. I keep track of, you know, feedings and diaper changings and things while I'm with the client. So sometimes I just take a note on my phone or use Mm -hmm. pen and paper. Um, But if a family is using an app to track all those things, um, then I can, you know, log into that app and update it and they have all that information together. Mm -hmm. So things like that can be really helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, I work with families who use some of the, the cribs like the snoo and the other brands. And it, again, um, you know, some families don't mm-hmm. use those type of things and they have, uh, you know, they're, they're great without them, but if a family mm-hmm. is using that and it's working for them, then, um, I'm there to support them with that. Maybe mm-hmm. give them some ideas for how to make it you know, easier to eventually transition away from that. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, so we we use things like like that as
0: well. That's great. Um, and so about you mentioned at the very beginning of the call, and I took a note about helping parents understand the baby's cues and learning how to respond kind of appropriately or, Uh, respond to the baby's needs in a more like efficient way or uh, whatnot. So can you go a little bit deeper into that? Like what are the baby's cues that people don't really understand at first and that they learn um, to understand and recognize? Uh,
1: Yeah, I think that's really interesting because babies are communicating with us in so many ways and if you're but if you don't know what to look for you kind of miss that um so something for example like eye contact if a baby is awake and alert and wanting to engage and making eye contact with you that's a really good signal that it's a time for like some play some interaction some talking um and then as babies start to get more tired and maybe a little bit overwhelmed or sensory kind of overloaded, then they'll kind of break that eye contact and look away. Uh, and if you're alert to those types of signals, then that will let you know that it's time to maybe, um, dim the lights and have some, you know, quiet cuddles and not try Mm -hmm. to push and continue to get baby's attention because they're signaling like, okay, that's enough for now. I need a rest. Um, mm-hmm. so things like that, or you know, like head movements and things that start to show hunger signs before the babies get really crying and and distressed from hunger. So you can um start to feed them before the that um, they they reach that crying from hunger stage, which is actually makes it more difficult to feed them because then they're more dysregulated. Uh, mm-hmm. so
0: things like that. That's really interesting. And I'm sure a lot of people are really grateful to you for teaching them these skills, Um, because I've spoken to neonatologists and they've told me that it takes a parent four to six months to really start understanding what their baby needs. And so if you can learn that quicker, I hope and I guess that they're super happy and grateful about it um so yeah uh well this was a very very interesting conversation um I want to ask you to tell us where people can find you if they want to work with you if they want to learn more about what you do I also know that on your website you have um this tool that people can download uh to kind of uh set themselves up for success so uh yeah tell us where we can find you
1: Thank you. Um, So my business is Infant Concierge. My website is infantconcierge.com. I do have a free download on my website, um, a kind of journal guide for the nesting stages of pregnancy when you're thinking of looking ahead to what life is going to be like with your baby. Um, There's journal prompts there. There's conversation starter questions. There's resources uh, also that it can be helpful as you're preparing for your baby. Um, I'm also at Infant Concierge on Instagram and Facebook. Um, And I just wanted to mention quickly too that I do run monthly Zoom meetups for new and expectant parents to connect with slightly more experienced parents uh, Mm -hmm. and hear some different stories and journeys of what life is like with a baby and help answer some of those, oh, is this normal question because there's such a wide variety of normals. So you get to hear Mm -hmm. from uh, parents and their own experiences. So Mm -hmm. um, those are also usually on my Facebook uh, and Instagram and in my newsletter as well.
0: I will definitely make sure to put all of that in the description as well uh, so that people can click on it and find you. Um, So one last question that I love to ask everyone who comes on this show at the end, and it's a very high level and there's no right or wrong answers, is um, if right now you were were faced with a new parent who just came home with their new baby and are completely clueless, don't know anything about it, have never done this before, what are your top two or three tips uh or pieces of, of, of advice that are very broad very general but also very useful or the big you know um things that they should live there the next couple of of weeks of their lives by um so yeah what would you tell them
1: uh yeah i think number one is to just remember to be gentle with yourself to be kind to yourself it is a learning process. It's an adjustment process. Nobody does it perfectly. You know, trial and error is a big part, especially in those early days. Uh, you're dealing with hormones and sleep deprivation and learning new skills and so many stressors. So I think number one, you know, when you're going through those tough times, it's just to, to give yourself a lot of grace. Um, And then something that I lived by when my third baby was a newborn, my youngest, was never do today what you can put off until tomorrow. And don't let yourself get overwhelmed by trying to keep up those standards that you're used to and always having, you know, all the laundry clean or whatever. If it's something that doesn't need to be done right now and it can wait, then use that time to rest. Use that time to eat, use that time to cuddle with your baby, because that's, you know, really the most important thing that you can be doing in that moment.
0: I love that. So basically you're encouraging people to procrastinate um, <laughs> as much as possible. No, yeah, Not forever. <laughs>
1: there, yeah. there will come that yeah. time again when you're able to be on top of things. But yeah. for those couple of months, like give yourself a break. Uh, yeah. you, it's not the priority in that season of your life.
0: I love that. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. It was such a pleasure. Um, I hope a lot of people found this useful and reach out to you or to any postpartum doula they have around where they live. And um, yeah, there's definitely a a lot to gain from it. So thank you for sharing your experience.
1: Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure.
0: Thank you so much. Thank you very much for listening to the Capella podcast will be back very soon with brand new episodes, shifting to season two. Thank you. Bye.